We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Top Dogs Podcast. Top Dogs Podcast here on the Field of 68 Media Network. My name is Rob Doster. Um, I don't have a long one today. It's going to be relatively quick, but I wanted to jump on and do a quick reaction pod to UConn's 80-75 to win over Xavier in the Cintas Center on Wednesday night. UConn improves to 4-1 and one in the Big East with back-to-back road wins against two uh, good teams. Um, I would say Butler is probably looks like a tournament team now after going into Marquette and beating Marquette. I think Xavier is probably more of an NIT team. That's still a tough place to play and a team with some talented guards. And uh, 14-2 overall for the Huskies. Um, we have a lot to talk about. Potential number one in the country coming, maybe. Hmm? We'll see. Uh, and I want to dive in a little bit to the small ball lineup that has been rolled out. Um, I, I think it's very intriguing here. Jalen Stewart, Hassan DR. There's a lot to get to before we do. Uh, please rate, review, subscribe to this podcast anywhere that you are listening to it or watching it. Uh, if you do enjoy this content, the best way to help support the field of 68 is just hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, leave a comment, leave a review, interactions, engagement, all of that stuff helps. Um, so let's start with this. UConn's got to be number one now, right? Number one, Purdue lost. Number two, Houston lost. Number three, Kansas lost. Number five, Tennessee lost. UConn sitting here, AP poll, number four. They probably got to move up, right? You would think so. Um, Going on the road is not an easy thing to do in the sport of college basketball in this day and age. I said this last night on uh, on After Dark, um, and I think that with people getting their fifth year uh, and sixth year and 23-year-olds and 24-year-olds and the ability to transfer immediately um, without having to sit out it has just created this uh this scenario where the teams in the power conferences everybody's got dudes everybody's got good players everyone's got four or five six guys that are really really good i don't think you see the depth at some of the top programs in college basketball that you have in the past kansas for example basically got four dudes and that's it and I think that the talent is more spread out because guys are looking to be able to go get their shots and go get their points. NIL has created um, an environment where uh, it makes sense to go somewhere where you might be the number one guy and be able to get a little bit more of, of NIL money. And I think that's created uh, a place where you see more parity in the sport than you ever have before. I know people hate hearing that, but when you combine um, 
the age and the experience of some of the players that are in the mid-tier to uh, lower tier of the programs in, in conferences like the Big East, the conferences like the Big 12, the conferences like the, the Big 10. You combine all that with the fact that uh, the elite players in the sport, especially the elite guards, are all heading to the NBA at the earliest opportunity because that is where you make the most money and the NBA wants a whole bunch of really talented guards, early talented wings. What we're seeing is uh, a scenario where the gap between the best teams in the sport and the teams that are in that like 30 to 40 range really aren't all that big. And it creates a scenario where going on the road is a much more difficult thing to do. Uh, this season alone, this is according to Evan Maya over at EvanMaya.com. He runs one of those analytics sites. Um, 66% of home teams in the top seven conferences in the sport have won their conference games so far. Last year and the year before, it was right around 61%. So that is a relatively significant statistical jump. Uh, I know it's a small sample size. I know it's early in the season, but winning on the road is been more difficult this year than it is in the past, and I think it stands out. UConn lost at Seton Hall. Kansas lost at UCF. Houston lost at Iowa State. Purdue lost at Nebraska and lost at Northwestern. Like, it's just going to happen this year. You're going to get losses. Uh, you're going to take losses on the road that you don't think that you should take, and the fact that UConn went on the road and won at Butler and won at Xavier without Donovan Klingon, I think is a very, very, very good sign for what this team could be moving forward. So um, I'll talk a little bit about they're, they're sealing here in a second because I just want to start with this. Um, the defense for me is is the big, the single biggest factor right now between UConn being a team that looks like the number one team in the country and the team that is playing well enough to earn a, uh, be in the conversation to get that number one ranking is just the simple presence of Donovan Klingon. And I'm, I feel like I'm beating this drum over and over again, but we saw it again last night. The, the ability of teams to be able to get to the basket whenever they want to get to the basket uh, against this UConn perimeter defense is something that I think is not ideal. And when the only rim protector you have around the basket is Samson Johnson, who's been great, but who's gotten four fouls in each of the last four games, uh, it's it, it becomes an issue that kind of rears its head over and over and over again. Now, um, the good news is that this hasn't cost UConn at all yet because guys like Cam Spencer and guys like Alex Carabin and guys like Steph Castle and guys like Asan Diara have found a way to really kick things up on the offensive end of the floor um, and become more, more of a weapon. I think we've seen UConn shoot the ball better over the course of the last four games. Uh, it looks like Tristan Newton has kind of regained that form that he was in uh, early on in November and, and early December. Um, I thought that despite the fact that he didn't really score the ball that well last night, he was terrific in terms of setting people up, uh, being able to get to the lane, being able to get a paint touch, just kind of causing havoc and, and being disruptive because of uh, the way that he plays. I thought Cam Spencer was outstanding last night. Uh, Alex Carabin making a bunch of shots uh, in the first eight minutes of the game, I think opened it up for UConn and really kind of got them going. So the fact that UConn's been this offensive buzzsaw over the course of the last four games is something that should not be overlooked and should be celebrated. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that UConn's really embraced this small ball lineup. Um, I went back and, and, and checked the numbers over the course of the last four games. When Samson Johnson is on the floor, UConn is plus 43. Um, overall, UConn is plus 45 in the last 
four games, which means that the small ball lineup has actually been plus two uh, in the minutes that they've been on the floor. And it's only been about 40% of the minutes in these games. A lot of that has to do with foul trouble and whatnot, but um, it's, it's held its own. And I do think that that is important because it's, they're, they're not quite to the point yet where I think that they are running as smoothly as they want to with those lineups out there. Um, but I do believe fully that this is going to be something where uh, it will be a weapon that UConn can pull out. I've said this over and over again. You don't want that to be a situation where uh, you use it for 16 to 18 minutes per game, right? If you have to, it's nice to know that you can. And I think that over the course of the last four games, UConn has kind of figured out how to be able to play uh, with Alex Caravan or, in the case of last night, Jalen Stewart at the five. Um, it's not what you want to do, but if it in an emergency or in a situation where you know UConn wants to change things up and see if they can go on a quick 7-0 spurt or 8-0 spurt over the course of two minutes, it's a lineup that is going to be useful for them. And um, I was impressed with the effectiveness of it last night. I thought it was really, really good, and I thought that they were really, really good uh, using that lineup. Um, but again, as part of the reason why I think the de- defensive struggles have kind of popped up, right? So um, I'll just put it into context for you. On the morning of December 20th, that was the Seton Hall game uh, that UConn lost on the road where Donovan Klingon got injured. Um UConn was 13th nationally in adjusted defensive efficiency. As of this moment, right now, on Thursday morning, 11, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time Zone, the only legitimate time zone, uh, UConn is 41st nationally in adjusted defensive efficiency. That is a pretty big drop in the course of just five games. Uh, and the reason it's happened is because if you go to th- – those numbers were according to Ken Palm. If you go check out Torvik, which is uh, another site that does a lot of the same kind of – analytics and regression data that you find out of Kempom. Um, since the Seton Hall game, UConn has ranked 132nd nationally in adjusted defensive efficiency over the course of those three weeks. That uh, You can see it on the floor. You can see the ability of guys to be able to beat Cam Spencer and Tristan Newton and, and Alex Caravan and even Steph Castle and Solo Ball at times on straight line drives off the middle, uh, off the dribble. And you can see the struggles that UConn has when they don't have the great wall of Bristol at the rim being able to erase everything and just take up space. So I know I'm beating a dead horse with it, but it's just something that um, I, I wanted to give those numbers and kind of share that context a little bit because I think it just drives the point home. Now, all that said, UConn has still found a way to win. Um, they've still found a way to be able to go on the road and pick up victories, right? And look, beating DePaul at home, it's whatever. UConn's got Georgetown over the weekend, beating them at home, whatever. If you get that done, good, great. I'm glad. I'm happy. Uh, you check that box and you didn't do what Miami did last night and lose at home to Louisville and, and, and kind of tank your resume that way. So um, it's been impressive. And to me, I think it is the, the most important thing that's happened here has been that UConn has developed – develop something of some some sort of depth right they've been able to get steph castle going and we kind of knew that that was inevitable but they've been able to get him going to the point where now he is a very serious weapon for this team we all knew it was going to end up happening he's still working on that jump shot but he's found a way to be able to get to the basket and create plays and wreak havoc and just uh be the steph castle that we thought he was going to be coming into the season and it's nice to see he's been a lot better over the course of the last three to four games that was always going to happen. This was always going to be uh, where he ended up. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Um, I think Hassan Diara. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Hassan Jara uh, has been fantastic over the course of the last three games. I thought he was fantastic against Gonzaga. Uh, he's averaging 11.3 points in the last three games. Uh, he shot six for eight from three in the last three games. He's been an energizer. He's been a floor spacer. He's been a leader. Um, he's been able to allow Tristan Newton to play off the ball a little bit, which is something that I think is really important for uh for, for Tristan in terms of, you know, kind of keeping him fresh, kind of giving him a different look, kind of allowing him to be able to attack a close at every run, once in a while to be able to kind of run off one of these pin downs and, and uh, get him into the DHOs and the other different looks that UConn has, getting him coming off of the screen and, and getting him downhill and rolling to the rim. Um, uh, I don't think that you can say enough about just how valuable Diara is. Uh, I made this comparison on the podcast with uh, with Jared last week. But I feel like he's kind of stepped into this role that Joey Calcaterra had last year. And it's they're different players. But when he comes in the game, he changes the way that UConn wants to play. And he changes what they do on both ends of the floor. Like he, what you want off the bench are guys that can be dynamic and guys that can be instant impact game changers. And that's what Asandiara has been the last three games. That's what he was against uh, Gonzaga. And that's what he's been the majority of the season in UConn's most important games. He needs to continue to be that. I don't think he's going to shoot 75% from three for the rest of the season. But as long as he's making like one out of three, two out of five, shoot 36% from three and be enough of a threat that teams have to guard you and chase you off the line. That's really all you need because that creates the space. Enough of them will go down eventually that it'll have that impact, but it's the space that gets created that matters. I thought he was terrific the last three games and especially last night. I mean, the the run that UConn made at the end, he got the layup, then he got the three, then he got the other three. Like, he was very, very good, and I don't know if UConn wins that game if he isn't there when they push that lead to 14. Um, Jalen Stewart last night, we got to talk about him too. You know, he was forced into more action, I think, than probably would make the staff comfortable given the situation. I know he's been in double-figure minutes each of the last three games. Um, he played 11 minutes at Butler. Uh, but last night was punch time minutes. It was critical minutes. And he was on the floor as the five man 
when UConn made their run and took a 60, I think it was 63 to 60 lead and pushed it to 74 to 60. But it's 11 nothing run um, in the last, like, uh, I think he was on the floor from the 10 minute mark to about the 440 mark after Alex Caravan got his eyes split open and after uh, Samson Johnson picked up his fourth foul. And he was right there in the mix. Now, um, he still, there's still things that he does that makes it very clear he's a freshman still trying to put all the pieces together, right? And there were three that I picked out that that kind of stood out. There was uh, there was a defensive rotation where um, they ended up with a mismatch. I think it was Cam Spencer was guarding Abu Uzman in the post. Stewart doubled, which is, you know, not the worst decision in the world. Uh, UConn got into a scramble rotation situation, and there was a miscommunication between, I believe it was Diara and uh and Jalen Stewart uh they both ran at uh Des Claude at the top of the key he threw a pass fake over to the wing then they both followed that pass fake instead of communicating and having one stay with the uh stay with Claude and the other go to the guy that uh was being passed to Claude had a wide open three luckily he missed it um there was another one where um he was guarding Abu Uzman and Desmond Claude drove a ball to the rim and he didn't see the he didn't see the drive and he just kind of got there late and committed a foul on Claude at the rim. It was 74 to 60 at that point with about five minutes left. So it didn't really matter all that much, but you could see that there was an issue there. There was the back door that got fired at him by Cam Spencer that went through his hands when he could have had a dunk uh, that would have put Yukon um, back up by 14 points after he missed that uh, that that rotation on the defensive end of the floor. But I thought overall the confidence, the toughness, the physicality, like he's starting to, you're, you're starting to see him get there. And when he does get there, when it all comes together, I, I've said this before, I just think he has everything that you want out of a, a four man in the college basketball realms. He can make threes. He can rebound the ball. He's tough. He's athletic. He can catch a lot. Like to me, um, if he can kind of, if you can, can bring him along to the point that whenever Alex Caravan decides to go off to the professional ranks, which could end up being this spring, it could end up being two springs from now, um, Jalen Stewart can step into that void and be the guy that fills that role, I think is something that would be important to the continuity of the UConn program long term. So I, I really liked what I saw. He's getting productive minutes and. Uh, more than anything else, I, I think you could say the same thing about Samson Johnson in the 20 minutes or so. I think he's played like t- about 24 minutes a game the last four games, averaging nine and a half points, 3.3 boards, 2.3 blocks. The most important thing is, and, and I'm getting to the point here, the most important thing out of this time that Klingon has missed is that it's allowed UConn's reserves to be forced into roles to get that experience, right? They've been thrown into the fire. Samson Johnson's had to figure it out. Jalen Stewart's had to figure it out. Hassan Diara has been in these moments before, but he's starting to figure it out. And uh, I think when I think when UConn started this, the Big East play, I was worried about them going deeper than maybe six or seven, right? Solo ball, uh, still not been great, but he's still he he's probably good enough where you can trust him a little bit in these minutes and in these moments. Um, but now I think you can kind of say like, look, there's a real argument to be made that this team can go eight deep, nine deep. If you want to throw Jalen Stewart in there as well. And I think that that makes it so that the return of clinging can be, uh, they can work him in a little bit more instead of just having to throw him in the fire. Um, and it can allow him to kind of have the time to get back into shape before you're asking him to go play 28, 29, 30 minutes a game as he's dealing with this foot thing. So, 
Um, if there is a silver lining, and I do believe that there is to the Klingon uh, injuries that he's dealt with, it has forced UConn's, um, UConn's next group of guys, the next men up, to be the next men up. And I think that that will be good for UConn in the long term. Um, two more things that I just want to talk about before we kind of get into the big picture stuff is, one, Dan Hurley against the referees is going to be a battle um, that will – stand the test of time man like I, I had multiple coaches text me and mention to me last night um that it's just a miracle that this dude doesn't get uh, a technical foul or two every single game and i don't think that they're necessarily wrong and i i there's two ways that i kind of look at this right one of them is that uh there are reasons for him to be upset at the officiating right there are Referees are humans. They're going to miss calls. They're going to get calls wrong. They're going to do things where uh, you, as a coach, don't necessarily get disagree uh, agree with them when you're when you are competing. Um, that's going to happen with everybody in the country. Coaches are competitors. They're tough. They're intense. They're going to react to that. Uh, I think that the problem is that it's gotten to the point where he doesn't get the benefit of the doubt anymore from officials and. Um, I don't think, you know, I know that Goodman said last year that there was a bias against UConn and a bias against Dan Hurley for uh, the way that he behaves. And I think that that is only that, that that's probably there. There's an element of truth to that. You know, I think, that look, if you if you were at your job every single day and you were getting screamed at by somebody, you probably wouldn't be giving them doing any favors from them, giving the benefit of the doubt. Uh, I think it would be just. It's just subconscious and, and natural at that point to kind of react that way. Um, but I also wonder if it's just kind of this thing that's continually built up to the point that uh, it's just it's never going to go away. Uh, Big East officials aren't going to want to hear um, him chirping in their ear, and he's going to get more and more frustrated by the fact that the the calls aren't being given to him the way that he wants them to be given to him as you know, the reigning national champions as the head coach at UConn as a top three, four, maybe even the number one team in college basketball. So um, it's just never going to end. This is just the way that it's going to go. Now, I will say that uh, one thing that has been mentioned to me in terms of why he doesn't get more technical fouls is that um, it's kind of like there, there's two reasons for it. One is that, uh, you know, the, the old mantra of, if you foul on every possession, they're not going to call a foul on every possession. So just keep doing it and make them call it. I think that that's part of it, right? Like if if you commit, uh, if you're doing something that's worthy of a T uh, every time down, then nothing is actually worthy of a technical foul because nothing that you're doing is out of line to the point where the, it kind of shocks people. So I think that's part of it. And I think the other part of it is that, yes, they're, they're not going to get ideal calls. But if you start running Dan Hurley, um, you know, two, three, four times a season, right? Like, how many games are you going to get asked to come back to? If you toss him a game, if you give him a technical foul of three straight games, like are you going to keep getting assignments like that? And if UConn continues to be a top five team in the country and projects to make deep runs in the Big East tournament and deep runs in the NCAA tournament, are you going to get assignments for the biggest games on the biggest stage if there's a chance that you might end up running into um, into Hurley in those situations? So I think that that's also something that goes through some of the minds of these referees. And I don't know. I enjoy it. I, I enjoy the uh, the in, the intensity. I enjoy the constant battle. I enjoy the uh, the entertainment value that comes with 
um, the faces that he makes on the sidelines. I thought that the fact that he broke his glasses last night and we got images of him like squinting, trying to see the other end of the floor. It was just too much, man. Look, he's, he's an absolute lunatic, but he's our lunatic. Right. So I, I, I enjoy the theater. I enjoy the, uh, the emotion of it. Um, and frankly, I don't know if I want anything else out of the head coach of the UConn basketball program. If you ain't nuts, you ain't one of us. Um, and, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with it. All right. So, uh, oh, the last thing before, I just wanted to mention a note. Um, UConn was up by 13 with, at the under four timeout, and Xavier uh, almost got a turnover to have the ball um, with a chance to tie the game um, with, I think, under 30 seconds left. And it's like, I, I just, I hated, hated, hated the fact that with about three minutes left, UConn went to that, all right, let's drain the clock and we'll let someone go one on one at the end of the clock to try to, um shorten the game and and uh see this thing out like the offense that they run is is takes 20 seconds off the clock no matter what it is and you're going to get a better shot out of that if you just run your stuff and see if you can get something in the midst of it um i hated the way that the the they drain the clock at the end especially when you have a team where you know uh getting stops in in, in those certain possessions has not been the strong suit for this program so i hope we don't see that again that was not my uh my favorite end to a game and it turned something that what should have been uh, a nice 14, 15 point victory into a little bit more stressful of a result than we necessarily needed to see. Um, but yeah, that's about it, man. It was, it was really impressive. Um, I, I thought that going on the road and getting that victory was really, really good. I, I do just want to make one more shout out, you know, at the start of the second half, um, Xavier hit four straight threes and took a 52 to 51 lead. And I think the moment that really changed the game was uh, Dalen Swain missed a wide open three in the corner, got an offensive rebound and missed a layup. Then UConn came down, Tristan Newton banged a three and two possessions later, he banged another three. Uh, then Nassan Diara got fouled and hit a layup, uh, hit one of the free throws. And then two possessions after that, Diara hit his uh, second three of the game, made it 61 to 52. That was a 10 0 run. Uh, that answered Xavier taking their first lead of the game. And that's what big teams do. That's what winning teams do. That's what champions do. When you get punched, you punch right back and you don't let it get you down. So uh, really impressive. And um, I'll save I'll save my thoughts for what UConn can be once they get healthy, when they get healthy. But the more that I see this team without clinging, the more excited I am about what they can be when he gets back. I uh, I think that um, they are built to be able to, to do something pretty special, and I think they are as well-situated as anyone's been, uh, assuming the big fella can get healthy, right? Assuming he can get back to being his best. Um, I think they're as well-situated as anyone in years to try to go at the 17-year-old record of the Florida Gators from 2006 and 2007 back-to-back -back champions. I don't know if it'll happen, but... I think that they are built to be able to try to make a run at it. So um, that's all I got for you today. I'm going to drop in here the audio from uh, the the After Dark that I did last night with Doug Gottlieb, Chris Mack, and Jeff Goodman um, breaking down UConn and breaking down the win over Xavier. Uh, so we're going to cut to that right now. And until next week, uh, I'm probably not going to do a reaction pod to Georgetown unless something catastrophic happens. So uh, hopefully we can line up a fun interview um, and we can come back with another Good episode of Top Dogs next week, leading into what we can only hope is positive news about the the, the soon to be returned Donovan Klingon.
as you guys know by now, we've partnered with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for the listeners and the viewers of the Field of 68 each and every week of the college basketball season. We have a special offer that will be available starting on Tuesday, January 9th, and running through Monday, February 12th, the morning after Super Bowl 58. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, in honor of the big game, you can use the bonus code FIELD158 and you'll get $158 in free bets on your first wager with BetMGM, regardless of whether or not you win that first bet. Here's how you make it work. Download the BetMGM app. Sign up using the bonus code FIELD158. Deposit at least $5 and place your first wager on any game. You'll receive $158 in bonus bets regardless of the outcome of your bet. Just make sure that you use that bonus code FIELD158 when you sign up. And remember, BetMGM is now available under one wallet in select states. As a New Jersey resident, this is super convenient when I have to go cover games in New York or Philly, which happens quite a bit. When you cross state borders, you just log into your existing account and fire away. You don't have to create separate accounts in each state. It's easy, it's simple, it's clean. And most importantly, we have some fun stuff coming up for the heart of the college basketball season. Bet insurance tokens, college hoops, odd boosts, and my favorite, a nice juicy parlay boost. So download the BetMGM app and sign up today. Field. One five eight. Welcome back to the Field of 68 After Dark. We are live on this Wednesday night where two more top five teams went on the road and lost. We talked about Kansas earlier. We talked about Tennessee earlier. Now we got to talk about that top five team that went on the road and picked themselves up a W. UConn Huskies go into uh, the Cintas Center and pick off Xavier 80 to 75. I was actually Mac, I was actually pretty impressed with uh, the performance from Xavier. This has not been the easiest uh season for Sean down there in Cincinnati, but right. um I was he had those kids fighting. He had uh they made a run late in the game when it looked like UConn kind of threw a knockout punch. Uh what did you make of UConn this year and or this in this game and what did you make of Xavier this season? I mean, I just think UConn is so relentless. I mean, they they just they just keep coming at you. I thought uh, big turning point in the game. I thought Swain missed a uh, layup that would have put Xavier up three. And again, there was still 15 minutes left in the game, so it, uh, it you know it certainly didn't decide the game. But I, I felt like it decided a lot of momentum because after he missed that layup to go up three, Tristan Newton ends up going back to back threes in transition. And um, I mean, you could just you could see the bench for UConn, you know, yelling out "boom" in unison. And I uh, just felt like anytime you're in your own arena and a team goes on a 6-0, 7-0 run like that, it, uh, you can feel it. You can feel the air go out of the building. And I, and I felt like, you know, UConn always has that punch in them. They just do. I know they're missing big fella, but, uh, man, they can shoot the ball. They, they are relentless on the defensive end, scratching at your ball, clawing at your ball, getting out in transition. And again, I, I thought the big momentum swing in the second half was Tristan Newton's back-to-back threes uh, that put him up like five or six. And I, I thought from that point on, they really controlled the game. Goodman, the number one team in the country lost. The number one team in the country lost. Goodman, the number two team in the country lost. The number three team in the country lost. UConn is number four. 
Does that mean what I think it means, Jeff? Are you going to have the stones to be able to admit that the team that you thought was less talented than Indiana is the number one team in the country? Will you do it? Are you willing to do it? Will you go there? Don't be making shit up. Don't be making shit up again. (laughs) Uh, Here's what I'll say. I'm I'm not getting into number one right now. There's a long long week ahead of us before I have to vote on Sunday. Uh, What I will say is the difference with UConn and some of these other teams going on the road right now is that uh, their mental toughness of this group, right? Whether it's Caravan, whether it's Tristan Newton, uh, whether it's Cam Spencer, uh, some of these guys, now it's rubbing off on other guys, the young guys like Castle, who's tough anyway. Uh, And it's brought by Hurley and the culture and winning a national title last year. So they can go into a place like Xavier that was crazy. I mean, it's crazy if not crazier than – some of these other places where these top teams lost over the last 24 hours, they go in there and they're thinking, we're going to win, even when it's close, when it gets tight and, and there's game pressure on. I mean, look at the kid, Diara, hits a huge three late. Now, they leave him wide yeah. open, but he makes it. He makes a big one. And that's kind of what I think Hurley's biggest strength is, uh, is, again, getting all these guys prepared He's always gotten kids to play hard. Now they've got guys who can shoot the hell out of the ball. I don't know what they shot tonight from three, but they made a ton of them. Yeah, 11 for 24. Uh, I was really impressed with that UConn performance, going on the road and, and uh, winning a game. They, they won at Butler on Friday night as well. I did not think they were going to get one.